Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino. I'm a grown man who loves to talk about duck comics. I'm joined by a couple of other grown men from from a couple of different time zones, both returning guests. Welcome back to Mikkel Hagen and Tom Wormstedt. Um, I'm so excited to have you guys on to talk about this landmark, critically acclaimed, beloved Carl Barks adventure, The Titanic Ants. Mikkel, can, can you believe we're finally at this famous all, all-time classic story? It's been quite a journey to get here, but now we are finally standing here right in front of the Limpspire State Building, and this is quite a landmark. It is. Uh, Tom, welcome back. What, what do you think? Titanic Ants, a classic longtime favorite of yours? I wouldn't say an, a, a favorite, but... I think it's a really charming story and it's always funny to read, you know, it's like Barks has some stories that are like each time you read it, you feel like you get some little new nuance out of it. So I found the jokes kind of interesting, like as an adult, like the scientific ones. and Yeah, absolutely. And and guys, I'm I'm goofing on this story, right? Um, the Titanic Ants is not one of his classics. It's not like a very fondly remembered one. But but Tom, as you say, the, the process of doing this, uh, of doing this podcast means that I really get to like dive in and look hard at some of these stories and, and even stories that I like weren't personal favorites of mine growing up. I really find a lot to appreciate and and love and so and so you know I'm, I'm poking a little bit fun at this one um it's certainly better than anything i could produce but but it is not one of the Duckman's favorites it's not one of the Duckman's most famous or well-remembered stories the community seems to think pretty poorly of this one in relative terms, you know, compared to a lot of his other adventure stories. So, so as we dive into this, uh, that that's our open question. As we go through this brisk little goofy adventure, it does this story deserve to be thought of uh, near the bottom of all his adventure stories? I would say no. I think it's actually a an entertaining and fun little story. It is twenty pages on um, peels far shorter because it's it is um, a three-tier story instead of a four-tier story so i did count the pages and the panels and if it was um, drawn as a four-tier story it would actually just be 15 pages oh wow yeah i i so, appreciate you doing, doing the work for me I, I wondered about that so yeah, yeah I, guys, I just I... really wondered about why does this feel so short compared to an actual right. 20 24 page adventure i wondered myself why barks did because when i looked at um i don't have donald duck 60 the comic it was in i don't have that issue but when i found it online at a dubious site so there's water ski race and then titanic ants and then there's another story that's like a short story and that was four tier so i don't know 
why Carl decided to make this a three tier or if it was like a, something Western told him to do or. Yeah, it's a little bit unusual. I, I also don't know why this one was, you know, a, a three tier. Coincidentally, Tom, the only other episode that I've had you on for so far was another three tier, right? We got to do uh, the Black Pearls of Tabuyama. So it, it seems that some of the three tiers are in like the special issues, the sort of like holiday or seasonal ones like um, Christmas in Disneyland, you know, that kind of story often got a three tier. So I, I was actually chatting a little bit with uh, with Debbie Ann Perry, um, who's active on the Facebook page, and she she mentioned that she was kind of wondering if perhaps this one was planned for some kind of like summer fun, you know, kind of issue or some little seasonal issue oh, that nice. might have been more summer themed, right? And and the the support story that you're mentioned, at least that one water ski race that would kind of like go along with that that other water water ski race would kind of go along with that so it, it seems like a, a you know potential reason why it sounds sounds like it's probably the reason for it i think right it's not one of earth's greatest mysteries or anything um but it is a little bit unusual right because the the, the vast majority yeah. of bark stories since like after his you know 40s 10 pagers have been the four tier panel so um, it definitely feels a little bit weird. Like the art has a lot of room to breathe and the story is a lot quicker. Yeah, and the format of this story also makes his ducks look taller here. I, I already talked about it in a previous episode, uh, The Lemming with the Locket, I believe, where I talked about how Bark's drawing style would change around 1957 because he got new paper from Western, a poor quality paper. And then he would, usually Barks would redraw the ducks and make them shorter again. But... It's become quite of a hassle with the new paper. So with time, he would just stop doing it and just draw them taller. Right. And, and as you say, it, it stands out um, a little bit, a little bit more in this. Yeah. So yeah, you guys, this is this is a fluffy story. It is a lot of fun. Um, I think we'll have a good time going through this, but um, in some cases, there just may not be that much to say about it. But <laughs> let's uh, let's start out. So um, I think you mentioned already, Tom, that this was originally published in Donald Duck number 60. Um, we've already talked about the layout and the page number. It's 20 pages shorter than what it would usually be. This one was first published, at least its cover date was July of 19. 1958. Again, it's got that summertime cover date, really suggesting some kind of seasonal publication that might have been abandoned. So, you know, I usually wait until the end, you guys, to, to kind of reflect on what the community thinks about this. We'll, we'll like go into detail about it, but it is worth noting that this is among the very lowest rated Bark story as like as reviewed on Index. The only two adventure length stories that come in lower are Mickey Mouse, the riddle, the red hat, you know, his one Mickey story. So like, I don't think that's a fair rating for that story, which is pretty fine. But I, I can kind of see why Index users maybe rated it lower because they just don't know how to approach that story or they don't like the idea of him delving into the 
you know, the mouse comics. And then the other one is Interplanetary Postman, which is a, a 60s era Barks story that is admittedly extremely weird. However, I can tell based on the like very low rating that it has, um, someone seems to have like engaged in some kind of coordinated campaign to downvote that. So, um, so I don't know if it would be lower if it weren't being like internet trolled into oblivion. But but as far as I can tell, this is genuinely one of the worst rated duck adventures that he ever did. So um, we'll, we'll circle back to that. And, and I will tell you guys, it made me think, you know, what, what would be my quote? worst rated Barks story. So that that's just a little bug that I like to put in your mind. I do want to acknowledge that I love Barks' uh, work. I think he's a genius. Everyone had their off day. So if, if, if I'm talking about his worst story, what I think of as, as his worst story, it's still going to be better than, you know, Tony Strobel at his best, for example. <laughs> let's see, you guys, let's check in really quick and, and pander to the international listeners, of, of which you are one, Mikael, right? Um, I've got you in from Norway. And and Tom, you're checking in from Washington. I'm in Pittsburgh. So we've got a lot of a lot of time zones represented here um, talking about this, this adequate bark story. Let's see. I think I will take a look at. You know, I'll, I'll just look at Mexico, which gives us a very straightforward title, Las Hormigas Gigantes, just the giant ants. You know, Titanic maybe is not a word that translates. I don't know that. Well, Titanico, I guess, in, in Spanish. But, but anyway, one of the straightforward translations. How about you, gentlemen? Um, Mikael, do you have one looked up yet? Yeah, the German title for Titanic ants is Reason Mason which just translates to gigantic ants. Another very on-the-nose, straightforward one. Um, how about you, Tom? Have you got one that you found interesting? I will say it, but I, I'm probably going to butcher it, so I will just say that in advance. That's part of the fun. Yeah. Um, this is Poland. I don't know Polish, but I will do my best. Gigantin Roki, and that translates to giant ants. Another straightforward one. Thank you for being brave. I usually, I'm usually intimidated by the Eastern European ones. So thank you. Excellent. Uh, gentlemen, let's do it. Let's dive into this story itself. This one has a, an opening that's, you know, a little bit different than normal. We've got this is a Donald Duck story, right? So Scrooge is part of it, but, but he's he's a supporting character. So we're not signaling his wealth or anything in this one. Mikael, did you have a comment? Yeah, I would definitely say that. I feel Scrooge kind of feels more like the main character in this story. Even if he isn't the title character, he takes the yeah, lead role. <laughs> I, I kind of thought so too. He is like not the title character, but we really do follow his perspective more, huh? It's an unusual opening for a Bark story. We've got uh, Donald, the nephews, and Scrooge talking about today being the date of the Duckburg billionaire's picnic. I do like this sight gag, you know, our setting here. Mikael, you had called it out. Where are they standing? Oh, they're standing, standing out at the street in front of the limp, um, in, in front of the limp spire state building. <laughs> One right. of Bark's funny visual gags. Yeah, uh, the Limp Spire instead of the Empire State Building. I, I feel like this is at least his third parody. You know, I think I've seen it in other yeah. stories, the Vampire Secret State Building or the Umpire State Building, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, that was in the Secret of Atlantis. 
but it's a it's a funny little sight gag with the tilting this kind of tilting building it almost looks like what william van horn might have drawn a couple decades later to me and and they're just talking up the this this clearly annual event um donald and the kids are set to work there with all the bankers and tycoons they're set set up to be they're, they're going to be waiters and cleanup boys as well as their main job. Tom, what is their main job? Ant shoers. Yes, they get to be ant shoers, but they're not the only ones with a role in this picnic, right? Uh, Mikael, you want to tell us what Scrooge's weird role is? Well, Scrooge's role is mainly to be a guest, but uh, he's been asked to bring uh, the salt and pepper. Like That's the only thing he has to bring, salt and pepper. Right. The only thing he has to bring. This this does crack me up, right? The idea of a billionaire's picket a picnic where it's a potluck instead of <laughs> catering, right? They can't they can't bring. I think even today I could buy a shaker of salt and pepper for like a dollar for the pair of them. So so this is pretty. This is a pretty funny, weird little element. And, and I like I like how Scrooge goes about getting ready for this. He's thinking about all the. Um, plutocrats who are going to be there and the deals that he can make. And so he starts to add an increasing number of bags of money to, to this box that he's going to take along. And we don't see it now, but it's reasonable for the reader to suspect that he, he's maybe going to forget something important other than the those bags of money. I mean, I, I think the second panel has a, in addition to the limp spire, on the second panel, General Mutter's voice school. Yeah, that's a funny little random sight gag. I also like Donald's kind of haughty pose in that second panel. That's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, why don't you tell us about the picnic preparations? Looks like they're, uh, it's already been Donald setting things up and uh, there's cooking going on and uh, the nephews are already uh, having to work with the ant chewing. I like this ant chewing here. It's very funny, right? The idea. This is like a, a totally classic thing. Um, I don't know, Mikkel, is this, is this one of those cliches you know, over in Scandinavia, the idea of ants not to make you a representative for all Norwegians and Swedes and everyone else in Scandinavia, but is this like a universal thing, the idea of ants invading your picnic? Yeah, it's definitely universal. And I figured. Yeah, with mosquitoes and all gnats and ticks and <laughs> all the little beasts that can trouble your picnic. Right. This is just one of those storytelling cliches. So I, I do very much like the little panels of them using <laughs> tweezers um, and swatting at ants. And just just generally taking their job very seriously. Uh, Mikael, do you want to take us to to the uh, arrival of the guests? Yeah, I really like how Barks um, shows the same rich peoples throughout the story. And here we got introduced to the first one of those faces we will see again. Uh, snow big looking guy saying, "Oh, potted grouse beneath the greenwood tree. Oh, jolly jolly." Um, grouse is like a. a a very uncommon English word, right, Tom? Like, have you ever eaten grouse? Never even caviar, never eaten grouse. Yeah, I've never had grouse myself. Yeah, so the elite of Duckburg are in festive spirits. Bellers and dogers, bee and brass hats, 
it is really a flossy affair. There was a lot of uh, top hat uh, puns going on here. <laughs> yeah, Barks introduces us to the second of the rich people that's gonna be a running gag with this lady in a purple dress and uh, she really hopes that dear Mr. McDuck brings plenty of salt and pepper because she likes the truffles quite brisk and right. they're done looking over <laughs> over at her. Yeah, and this is over the really her. nice storytelling that Barks does, right? She doesn't just say that. We have Donald over hearing her which like transitions really nicely to donald greeting scrooge as he arrives and checking in on the salt and pepper and, and a sheepish a sheepish scrooge admitting uh i completely forgot the the salt and pepper um when donald asks what on earth is in that box he says two million two thousand and seventy five dollars because he's scrooge mcduck <laughs> You know, Mikael, as you describe the um, like really ridiculous, pompous, rich people, that's really where the the humor and entertainment in this story is going to come from, right? Putting putting these snobs, it's kind of the Caddyshack thing of, of seeing um, snobs reacting to a situation that's going to make them like um, flustered. So, Tom, why don't you tell us um, what Donald tells Scrooge? I can't do the voice. Yeah, no uh, worries. You get right up to that house on the hill and buy some salt and pepper. The picnic is starting. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and then you know the house. It's I, I feel like it's almost coded as like a haunted house. What are your thoughts here, Mikkel? It really reminds me about the house in uh, Alfred Hitch Hitchcock's uh, Psycho. Yeah, it's it has the same vibe as this kind of haunted Victorian old house. This cliche with those. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, Barks is signaling with his art that there is something amiss in the house. So, you know, Scrooge um, knocks on the door asking, you guys, I, I do love this Scrooge, uh, this little Scrooge impulse that he'll ask to borrow some shakers and return them when the prices are low. Um, again, there's almost nothing cheaper at the grocery store than salt and pepper. Um and, and, you know, when he asks, when he knocks, we hear someone say, well, certainly, and someone, an unseen voice says, Annie, give the gentleman the two big shakers from the kitchen. Uh, Scrooge tips his hat to, we get our immediate reveal of one of the Titanic ants, this very friendly, you know, duck-sized, Disney duck-sized ant that um, very warmly gives Scrooge. And, and this is like a, a classic cartoon double take right where he's not going to process it until the next page um and and you know he's going to return to the house and ask about uh ask if that was an ant that he just saw come out of the door you guys what do you think of the like introduction of the the titanic ants themselves here and annie it's just wonderful <laughs> it's uh it's highly effective and funny. As you just said, Mark, it's really, really an effective way. Leave it to Barks to make the ants cute. Exactly. Isn't she adorable? And now that we're with the ants, I'm wondering if, because um, it seems like having the ants, as we get more into the story, having the ants, not to ruin anything, but I, I'm wondering if it, it looks like it's more, like there's more room to draw, like to breathe, so to speak, because of the three tiers with having all the big insects now. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point, right? This, um, this really is fitting for a story about something oversized. You guys, I haven't revisited in a while, but Billions in the Hole had some ants that were like normal size, right? But, but you know, next to the ducks, they looked about this size. And it's striking that they look pretty sinister and menacing, um, but they do look very cute. 
especially Annie, at least, who, who is like the, the star of, of the story as far as the ants go. The ants and billions in the hole looked more creepy, almost with their smiles. They had more yeah. almost human-like expressions. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's it's a fun little opening. It's almost it's almost like a, this is such a light and fluffy story, but it's really coded almost like a horror movie, right? Like this is not all that far off from like in ancient Persia with the creepy guy in the creepy old mansion, uh, you know, being a scientist working on something. It's just going to go in a very different direction. So you know, by and by. Donald is wondering about Scrooge, um, and he's gonna. He's thinking he should check in, um, and and uh, the organizer is telling the nephews to take one more sweep for the ants, and we see a neat little contrast where where the ants are introduced to the picnic. This is what we want to happen. Uh, one of the nephews is swatting at them with a broom, saying "shoe ants, shoe." And we get a great little subversion panel where one of the Titanic ants appears and snatches the broom away and whacks the nephew across the head with it. That's a great, great little introduction, right? Oh, that's really, it's really a great shocker for a nephew. Like, yeah, it's just great to hold the, bar, the way Barks introduce the ants to the picnic. With, uh... And you guys look at that third panel of the ant whacking him. That's some neat little character art, the way the ant is grasping um, the broom with like all six of its legs. I like that a lot. Yeah, and I also like all the rich people, or a couple of rich people on the next panel, like they scream, screaming. Yeah, do you want to tell and... us? Tell us, take take it on, Mikkel, yeah. the, this panel where they get introduced to the picnic itself. The lady in, or in an orange dress, she shrieks while her, I suppose, husband is here, is jumping off his head and he is losing his moustache. <laughs> And it's really clear. It was not. It was not a wig. His his hair is just flying off in right. during a shock. And uh, then the other rich people runs off and ants, ants as big as dogs. And then we also see this uh, snobby guy I mentioned earlier. He's there again, saying, "I say, old insect, that is my potted goose." <laughs> While an ant grabs it off from his uh, plate. Right. Yeah. It's it's very funny. Um, again, we like to see like snobby rich people getting cut down a peg, um, but but only when they act snobby, not when they're acting like Scrooge, I guess, who is like, who is our quote hero. And, and it's just general chaos. You know, the ants invade the picnic the, the way you would expect them to. They, they start to carry off the food and they head back to that old house that, that Donald notes that's where Uncle Scrooge went and didn't come back. Um, Tom, any favorite panels here of the ants invading the picnic? Well, I got to say, um, now that I see it, this is like the thing about Barks and every time you read it, you get a little new nuance out of it is uh, seeing Donald charging at the ant, <laughs> like a pole vault, and then, you know, basically ant does it for him and he gets yeah. uh, pumped. I don't know if that was changed for this comic, but right into the tree. Yeah, it's a funny little uh, animated, like a uh, great sense of kinesthetics of, of motion. Um, the way the ant uses his branch is like a fulcrum. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. And so as the ducks follow the ants with their like stolen picnic food up to see what's going on, we see one of the nephews following the one that has kind of a kinder face 
and the others. I think we suppose that might be Annie. Do we think that's Annie? The way I read it, it seems to me that she is staying up in the house. Yeah, the yeah, I think you're right. Still have to following meet one, following one that's a little bit kinder. And then we see a, a moment where they, you know, shockingly they disappear, dropping the food, um, and then they reappear immediately. That that actually what's happened is is they they have shrunk again and rapidly expanded but but the ants totally aren't reacting and we're going to transition to the house where we where we find out what's caused this and and it turns out uh, tom do you want to tell us the the reason behind their sudden shrinking and enlarging there is a uh like a overlord someone behind the scenes uh um it's kind of a mad scientist stereotype flipping switches and shrinking and enlarging them right and and he's been doing it to demonstrate this to Uncle Scrooge. Uh, Tom, what's his name? Dr. Think Noble. <laughs> right. So, so what Barks is doing here, like immediately, is that despite the house looking a little bit creepy, it is just signposted for us that this is not a, a, a mad scientist. Maybe he's a little bit absent-minded or a little bit dizzy, um, but he's not an evil character, right? He is... He is, um, he is not a villain. He's just the reason that there are these titanic ants. Uh, he apparently has, has, has embarked on this big science experiment because of the opportunities for um, how useful a giant, clever ant. You know, this is one of the things people know about ants. And I guess Barks probably learned this from one of his many National Geographics, right? Is, is that ants are really quite bright, at least in you know, in the insect kingdom. And we get some cool visuals. Mikkel, you want to tell us about uh, the, a couple of the demonstrations of their strength? Yeah, we have we have this friendly looking professor with his flipshag and smile pointing at uh, Anna and saying that an ant can lift many times its own weight. Annie, lift the piano for Mr. McDuck. And she swiftly lifts up the whole piano with just one arm. And Scrooge looks on in astonish, astonishment, saying, amazing, absolutely amazing. Say, I see uses for those ants. They could be stevedores, unloading ships, or log pilers in the lumber woods. You have really got something good. So, so this is something the reader knows about Scrooge. He's He is very good at sniffing out business opportunities. We get a fun little bit on the next page where one of the, the ants is showing off by lifting up the whole corner of the house that they're in to, to impress a little a girl ant. I and, really you know, like Scrooge's face while he's shaking there. So yeah. Great visual. Yeah, that's a that's a great visual right there. And, and and you know, they're just exalting in the possibilities. They could be house movers. They don't need to eat more than, you know, sugar and grass. So they're they're just the cheapest labor that Scrooge could ever want. Um, don't think too hard about the ethics of this, right? It's a comic, but but it's definitely a little. Uh, I mean, I guess it's it's the way we use it's the way we use other livestock. Why not giant ants? It's just funny uh, reading Doctor Think Noble and Scrooge uh, go over like uses for the ants and how they could, you know. As a scientist, I find it interesting that uh, he's more interested in the profitability of the ants, just like Scrooge is. 
Yeah, you're right. He's like, he's a very mercenary scientist, right? <laughs> clearly done this for, for financial. Like he has a kindly expression the whole time. So I'm not like questioning his motive motives, but, but it, it is a little bit discordant. I really like this next sequence, you know, where we see the other animal that he's experimented on. Uh, under the basement, he's got a, a gigantic mole that he's enlarged to see if he could dig tunnels for water mains. I like Scrooge's little line of dialogue there. Is that a multiplied proton or an elephant? So you guys, the the two, um, these two gentlemen have big plans, right? And they're starting to make business already. They're starting to make their business deals. The, the scientist wants to go upstairs in case he can hear the doorbell, you know, but Scrooge wants to keep their deals under wraps. So that, that's how Barks keeps the ducks out of the loop, right? And when, when they come looking for Scrooge, this is kind of like the, the home invasion sequence, I guess you could say, right? The, the ducks keep trying to investigate the house. They keep running afoul of the ants accidentally letting them out. It's just some good general mayhem. Donald um, Donald tries to climb a ladder to the top of the house, but his ladder ends up going down a, a hole into the mole's home. So, you know, he has a funny encounter where, where he jumps all the way up to the roof. Any any favorites in, in this sequence, you guys? Mikael? Yeah, my favorite is definitely when one of the nephews rip up a little tree. <laughs> which he plans to hit the ant with and the ant looks on him with this uh, funny expression while he rips up a whole tree yeah yeah that's that's a standout sequence i like that a lot and the boy said never mind let's not argue about it right and and then you know we're about to set barks is about to set us up for kind of the chaos that's going to close out the story Donald's now up on the roof, having been scared by the mole, and he ends up crashing through a skylight, smashing the doctor's magnoprotonic control board. Um, and after a little tussle where, where Donald thinks this guy is a kidnapper, Scrooge is able to like to calm him down and talk about their their business partnership and the contract that he's just signed, giving Scrooge claim on the services of any of the, the scientists enlarged animals. But now we've got now we've got a problem, right, guys? Yeah, we definitely have a problem now. Was the, the ants can of course not be controlled anymore? Right, the ants nor um, Magno the mole. <laughs> I didn't catch his nickname before. I don't know if he mentioned it. So now they're they're totally out of the professor's control. He can't enlarge new creatures. Worse yet, he can't shrink the ones that he's already enlarged. And now the ants are like out of control. I guess, you know, th this is an element that gives me just a little bit of pause where I'm like, okay, so the professor is clearly like mind controlling them. And if they're not under his control, they go a little bit savage and feral like like they do now at the picnic what, what do you guys think am i thinking overthinking that too much no i wouldn't really say that there must be something with his machine that stops the animal from just wrecking everything in their in their way right like, so. what, what do you think tom is this guy um low-key a super villain uh <laughs> The thing about it is we never find out his original motive for experimenting all these ants. Right. Like, it seems like he just wants to make money, but but that's that's weird. It doesn't really match his whole... I, I do think there's something a little bit discordant about him. He's definitely no Cairo Gurulus, so... Right. 
Yeah, I, I do like these scenes of mayhem, though, right, with the ants uh, wreaking havoc on all of the snobs at the picnic. It's a lot of fun. Any any panels? I mean, it's got to be the, the the big splash panel, the at least the top, the, the panel that goes, that spans the page, right? That's that's pretty great. Yeah, I really love the second panel on the 16th page where uh, the ants... Oh, it, it reminds me of um, this uh, Karl Barks Jack Hanna cartoon where I think Donald is um, on a river and he's trying to, I think like he's being chased by Black Pete and he's like, there's like a log and he's trying to tap dancing on the log to stay afloat. And it just reminds me of like the ant, like with the door and the two the people on the door. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great thing to point out. This I would say this one definitely feels a little bit more like the cartoons that Barks would have done before his comic career um, than his average story. So I like the nephews, you guys, charging out there and Donald saying, we must do what we can to save those people's dignity. Because <laughs> like the reader does not care about their dignity. It's it's the, the entertainment in this story is seeing them trying hard to keep a stiff up stiff upper lip. And now Scrooge, of course, is worried. Uh, he's, he yells out, don't tell them I own a half interest in those ants. They'd sue me for my back teeth. Um, Mikael, why, why is everyone, tell us about why everyone is trapped at the picnic. Well, all the rich snobs are trapped in the picnic um, because uh, Magno, the giant mole, has dig this huge ridge of dirt all around the glen, trapping all the... <laughs> All the snobs in there with their yeah. really tiny little cars. <laughs> yes. And then Mogni himself is peeking out, <laughs> looking rather friendly, actually. While the rich people <laughs> look scared at him. Yeah, well, we finally get to see the, the woman in purple dress again. Another snob with a fancy moustache has saved some, some truffles for her, but she... She doesn't want them. She tells him he can keep them. She is still waiting for the salt and pepper. So that's the, I think that's my favorite panel um, of the whole story, right? Like, cause it's, it's one of those things where he sets up the gag at the beginning. We've, we've basically forgotten about Scrooge's failure to bring the salt and pepper, but it's very funny that one of these rich snobs, even in the face of gigantic ants, uh, titanic ants and, and a gigantic mole is still haughtily um, remembering the, the lack of salt and pepper. So uh, to me, that is objectively the funniest panel in this story. It's also important to mention that uh, they are sitting on top of the roof of a car. Right, right. As undignified as you can get. So, you know, this is a very fun sequence. It's pretty satisfying. And, and now... Scrooge, as a, a half partner in this stake, has to figure out how to subdue the ants with the doctor. And, and the doctor gives some mumbo-jumbo, fakey science stuff about how um, his, magno, his magnetotronic attractor could work on them if they could be induced to swallow a tenth of their weight in silver, which is not, I don't believe, is actually a magnetic metal, you guys. Is no, silver? I don't think so. We can always consult We can always Google. Google it, right? Is, um, yeah, silver is not magnetic. It is diamagnetic. What is diamagnetic? Yeah. You hold a silver coin at 45 degrees, a suitable magnet will slide it down slowly. What does that exactly mean? Pseudo-magnetic? 
So, so you guys were like listeners, we've been kind of wondering, right? Um, the, the professor has this mumbo jumbo about whether, uh, about how to magnetize them, but apparently silver is what you call diamagnetic. And, and that is when a, a body is magnetized in a direction at 180 degrees to the applied magnetic field. So I'm reading that as saying they would actually be opposed to the magnetic attractor. I, I think I'm reading that right. Anyway, I don't know how much silver was in Scrooge's coins at this point, right? Because our coins do not contain silver these days. And uh, this says virtually all coin denominations stopped using silver after 1964. So, um, so yeah, I guess this, this. Okay, look at this, you guys. We learned something interesting here. There's yeah. something to get out of this episode. There was definitely some silver in Scrooge's coins. They were minted in 90% silver until 1964, um, which were produced to save nickel for the war effort. So there you go. At least some of this scientific mumbo jumbo makes sense. <laughs> Um, well, Burks did this research. Yes. Uh, you guys, I like this element of the story, right? The professor is like, if only we had a quantity of silver. I, I love that panel of Scrooge visualizing his coin with wings flying away because he knows what he has to do. They have to, they have to feed these coins to the ants. Tom, any of those panels on, on page 918 here that you particularly like of the ants dishing on Scrooge's money? I mean, I think it has to be either probably the third panel with the ant uh, using uh, Scrooge's $1,000 bills for napkins. That, that was definitely my choice. That's, that's pretty great. The ant is just uh, rubbing salt, rubbing the salt that Scrooge forgot into his wounds. I would always feel so sad with Scrooge in situations like this as a child. <laughs> Do you feel the same kind of sympathy these days? No, not quite the same sympathy. No. <laughs> but right, then right. again, I didn't look on Scrooge as this huge uh, monopoly capitalist back then. I, so I just felt sad that he was losing his money because I saw the money as just playthings. <laughs> right, right. And, and he is genuinely anguished over it course um you know and and they figure out that for magno the mole they um they need to attract him with carrots uh based on the junior woodchuck guidebook so you know there's this fun little bit where where donald goes fishing down the hole with carrots and and the ducks end up riding him with the the classic you know holding the carrots out um in a fishing pole ahead of him and and once they're loaded up once the ants are loaded up with silver the scientist turns on his magnetotronic attractor um and it's a fun fun panel where the ants start to get dragged up to to the house i like that we get to see the two rich snobs again the one with the pointy the man with the pointy snout and uh, the lady in the, the purple dress yeah i like her line uh do you want to tell me about the lady's line tom what is what does that lady say about the day's doings it seems this picnic has been rather unusual. Right. And, and the big nose guy says, quite. It's, it's great, you know, snob coding. And then Mikhail Scrooge gets hit with a, a horrible bit of information on the last page. What's that? Yeah. So as the ants are 
moving and dragged back into the lawn. Scrooge asked the, the professor, No, no, doctor. What becomes of my silver coins when you shrink those ants? Sad to say, the, the coins will shrink too. And Scrooge oh. looks straight into basically breaking the fourth wall, looking at the reader saying, huh, $2,275,000 dumb the hatch. Right. And he yeah, falls, falls down sobbing on the ground. Right. It's his expected response. We get, you know, a good um, trillionaire's tantrum. But um, but the doctor, the scientist, is able to to give him a consolation. Tom, do you want to tell us about his his consolation? What he's dreamed up? A mosquito that drills oil wells. <laughs> right. So you know that that's our ending. It's it's not the the most inventive ending. We just see Scrooge um, again riding that very cute little Annie. Donald commenting that how it's lucky she's still gentle because he's just too overcome with with the. Uh, dollar signs to to walk himself back to the picnic and that's it that is this light fluffy tale the titanic ants it's certainly not one of bark's stronger efforts but you know i've got to ask you guys do you think it was as weak as the people who voted for it on index suggest oh definitely not it had a lot of now that it's funny because um when we do these this is my second one the more we dissect or you know talk about the story the more i realize just how great it is even what on the surface may seem like just a comedy story there's a lot more to it than that yeah exactly uh, what do you think Mikael? <clears throat> yeah well as thomas already said i think there's always more to read from a bark story more to discover once you reread the story to me this is a fun comedy it is kind of the middle of the tree it's not something that really stands out in my memory from my childhood even though i did read it as a child but it is a fun a fun little story definitely doesn't deserve to be downvoted as much as it's as it is on Index. Yeah, I, I agree too. I think this is, um, it's certainly not like in his upper half of stories. I would definitely call it like a mediocre, um, maybe even a little bit weak bark story. But if you look on Index, it gets a, just like a flat seven, basically, as of when I had checked in, a 7.06. Yeah, it's a little bit higher these days, 7.1. Oh, I think that's rounding because I, I did a thing that let me look up the, the precise. And, and you know, it's, it's ranked like 2,200 out of all uh, the the like 42,000 some stories on index, which is very rare for Barks. Most of his adventure stories are like within the top thousands on index and, and most like the vast majority of them are at least in the top 500. So I, I, I don't think it's a great story, but I, I see on my little spreadsheet here, I see m stories that I regard personally as much weaker, some of his like later 60s efforts that maybe I haven't, I guess to be fair, I haven't revisited some of these in a while, but based on my memory, like I think this was stronger, for example, than the Cattle King or Case of the Sticky Money or Queen of the Wild Dog Pack, all, all of which are ranked higher than than this one is. So um, so I, I don't know if it's fair to call it. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess I'd have to say this is a little bit underrated compared to uh, at least the snapshot of what the community thinks um, as as is shown on Index. So you guys, any other thoughts about this story before we transition to kind of our, our least favorites? Well, I would just like to mention a fun little fact that uh, this story was published in Norway in 1999 in what was then called the world's smallest comic book 
And uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure how small it was, but it was it was smaller than a than a matchbox. Oh wow! Yeah, that's funny so, for a story about you know gigantic creatures. <laughs> yeah, you had to read it with a magnifying glass. So. Oh my gosh! I I went to the index a picture of the cover and under size it says approximately an inch tall. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. That is that is fun. Uh, what what was the deal behind um, behind the release of, of that? No, they they did publish it with a with a Donald Duck Weekly as a kind of gimmick, I suppose, just for fun. Probably made sure. some headlines. <laughs> sure, no doubt. Yeah, and and I guess. Um, I guess with a with a story that has like shrinking and enlarging as a gag, it's a very fitting one to do. So that's that's fun. That's neat. It's a fun little cover that they gave for it. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to highlight that when we release this. That's very cool. Thank you. Um, so you guys, I, I had rattled off a couple of um, stories that I thought were weaker than this. Maybe that's a better way to approach this question than like what is your what are your least favorite bark stories because again even weak barks is is still like very strong relative to a lot of what other artists might put out but you know i i'd rattled off a couple of those i'll note also there are there are a couple of of stories that i i feel pretty prickly towards i've already covered a couple of them like i just i do not like volcano valley listeners i'm sorry i know it has its fans um and and it, it does have a couple of individual brilliant parts um but i just i just do i found that story to be a big bummer but most of the ones that i regard as weaker are you know kind of the later ones Mikael, i think there's one that you and i mentioned that you really like that that bothers me the house house of haunts for whatever reason i'm i'm looking forward to revisiting it maybe my feelings will have changed since i read it as a teenager but that one that one annoyed me how about either of you who wants to go first oh i can mention that uh, i do like the whole house of haunts and i look forward to when we get to that point of bark's career because i i personally think his later 60s scrooge adventure adventures actually are taking an upturn compared to earlier 60s stories yeah i'll have to I'll have to bring you on for that one. It'll be fun to like have a difference of opinion about that one. A any any stories that don't work for you relative to to Bark's other greats? Wow, that's a really good question. Well, a lot of his stories they just seem to flow really well, and there's a few stories that are a little clunky when I'm reading it, and then the like the subject matter is kind of I guess it's hard to like wrap my head around like. Uh, Treasure of Marco Polo. I think if I was more versed in like the Vietnam War, I might understand it better. Sure, um, like it's a product of its time. Yeah, um, that I think is of the Uncle Scrooge adventure is probably the one I've read the least number of times. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm really looking forward to covering that just because it's been like, it's been a long time and I know it has some notoriety. So, so I'm kind of holding off, but I do remember that it didn't leave much of an impression on me when I was younger. What about you, Mikael? Any others coming up? Any, any that come across your mind? Well, I would also have to agree that Volcano Valley, without going on too much about that one, it is not a really special story to me. It's kind of Kind of a boring. Compared to other bark stories, it is more of a boring story. Yeah, sometimes it's just like relative to like when it came out too, because there were some pretty great early adventures um, yeah. around that one. Two. Any others yeah. come into mind there, Tom? Um, I think the gold, <clears throat> the golden Christmas tree. I think was uh, it's like it had all its uh, momentum just 
like squeezed out at the last like three pages. And yeah. I think Western made him, I think I read that Western made him change some things and even Bark submitted that he didn't like what they made him do. Yeah, that story ends up being pretty weird and disjointed, um, just mostly due to some of that outside meddling, right? How about you, Mikael? Any others you wanted to mention? Well, it's been a long time since I read this one, so I can't really say I remember it too clearly, but too many pets has yeah. always also kind of been oh, this yeah. not that special story for me. No, it, it definitely isn't. I remember when I when I did that episode, because it was just my like what third episode, I guess. I I debated with myself. I was like, do I really need to do cover too many pets? But then I was like, well, you know, this is the format that I've picked for my podcast. And I think there's some value in giving every adventure length story its own episode. But I I definitely used it as an excuse to talk a little bit more about Floyd Gottfriedson, just just because, you know, um, what's his name had written the story. Oh, what's his name? Gottfriedson's collaborator, um, Meryl Damaris. It was was started by Meryl Damaris. So, so, you know, again, is it fair to say this is a Carl Barks story? But you're right. That one is is pretty low ranked on that list. I have my own little personal list of like stories that I think are kind of overrated. Maybe I'll share that at some point. Some of them might be, might raise some hackles. But I, I don't think anyone would be upset if I said that Big Top Bedlam didn't really work that well for me. It's just like a lot of a lot of mayhem that doesn't lead anywhere. It has some great art. I just never found it that entertaining. I liked uh, Big Top Bedlam as a kind of long, overstretched uh, ten pager <laughs> made right. into an adventure. And that's exactly what it is. Okay, I remember that one now. Yeah, that, I liked it. Um, yeah, I, I think Bed, Big Top Bedlam had a really interesting plot. It, it was like really simplistic, but he was able to stretch it out pretty far and. It's like by the end, it seemed to getting a little like tedious, but then he like flipped the story a little bit and kept it interesting. Yeah, I know. I know I might be a little bit out of step. I think everyone has their stories where like they'll really go to bat for some of them that they think are underappreciated and, you know, some that might be overrated. Gentlemen, I really appreciate um, I really appreciate you joining me to talk about this uh, this, you know, story that it sounds like all of us think it gets a little bit of a bad rap right it's it's a little bit stronger than you might expect but but thank you guys for joining me and uh check in with us next episode when we get to cover um an uncle scrooge adventure the strange shipwrecks go ahead Mikkel. oh that's a that's a good one it's an area great atmosphere and i I look forward to listen to that that episode once it's published. Yeah, it will be a good time. Um, Tom, thank you so much for joining me. Mikkel, thank you so much. A pleasure, gentlemen. Yeah, always a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Nice meeting you, Mikkel. Likewise, Tom. Um, all right. Well, thanks again, guys. I appreciate it.